What does it take to make you stop acting like a Christian? What does it take to make you stop acting like a Christian? I think we were about 10 feet back from the hostess table. My wife Holly and I had just put in our names. If I remember correctly, it was a Sunday evening. Uh, We were up at a restaurant called Hacienda in northern Indiana. Any Hacienda fans in the room? Boy, that cookie melted ice cream. Uh, If it was like most Sunday nights, I'd finish preaching. We were pastoring up there. And I think it was just a time for Holly and me to catch our breath and be together. Ten feet back from the hostess table, we'd been there for three or four minutes. And we're watching across this lobby waiting area as a woman who is rather dressed up just to go out to eat is getting more and more visibly agitated. Now, this was, you know, 15, 16 years ago. So this was back in a time when Sunday evening services were actually really common. It was kind of the norm still in a lot of churches, especially in that community. And from everything I could tell, she and the people with her had also just come from church. (laughs) They'd just come over to the restaurant. She's getting more and more agitated. A a party gets called up, a party of two, and they get sent in. Another party comes up, a party of two, and they get sent in. This lady was there before us. She's getting more and more fidgety and more and more agitated, starts whispering back and forth, and you can tell she's had enough. She stands up, she walks up to the hostess table. Now, we're 10 feet back. We take another step back, feeling what's coming, you know, trying to give them some space, but we could hear clearly everything she said. So could everybody else in the whole waiting area. She wasn't exactly quiet about it. I don't remember exactly what she said, although there's one phrase that sticks out that I'll tell you in a minute. But she said something along these lines. Now, how is it that we've been here for 10 or 15 minutes sitting here and we haven't been able to get in? And these other people who came after us are already being seated. What's your name, man? Okay, party of four or something like that. I believe it was four. Well, ma'am, just because we can seat a party of two doesn't mean we can seat a party of four. So... Uh, we're getting a table ready for you. If you'll just wait, I'm, I'm sorry for the wait. You know, she's this poor teenage girl who was getting paid minimum wage is trying to calm this lady down. The lady cuts in on her, doesn't even get to finish her sentence, says, now, now listen, I can do math. <laughs> two groups of two, if you hadn't seated them, would add up to a group of four and we would already be seated. Now, why are we not being seated? Oh, well, well, ma'am, uh, uh, you know, I, I know it seems that way. That seems like how it would work. But if you could look at what I'm looking at here, the, you know, two different tables on two different sides of the room. Uh, well, you could have pulled them together. No, ma'am, there's not even room in the aisleway. They're in tiny spots out of the way. We can't. I'm sorry if we'll just wait. Now, I have an acute sense of fairness, she says. That was her exact phrase. I have an acute sense of fairness. So now Holly and I, whenever we see somebody in our family or somebody we know or ourselves or each other, we love to laugh at each other. It's our favorite thing. Getting, a, you know, getting all uptight and worked up about a little tiny injustice, say, you have an acute sense of fairness, don't you? You start laughing straight from church. What does it take to make you stop acting like a Christian? 
Maybe it's, you're driving in one of those back roads, you know, and you're just going to be on time, and somebody pulls out in front of you, traffic's coming the other way, and they start going 40 in a 55. It is their fault I'm going to be late. They just don't know that I'm here. I'll get closer. They're not paying attention to their rearview window. I'll do these kind of gestures. And maybe they'll see. Maybe they see me there, but think I'm praying. I'll mouth words, hoping they can read lips. Uh, what does it take to make you stop acting like a Christian? Sometimes it's the easiest, simplest, smallest of things. Sometimes it's something much more dire, much more serious. Paul in Philippians chapter 1, if you have a Bible and can pull it out, you'll be less distracted than you would be on your phone. If you have a Bible and can pull it out, Philippians chapter 1, go eat potato chips. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat potato chips. Find Philippians. Turn to chapter 1. Verses 19 through 30 is where we're at today. Philippians 1, 19 through 30. In here, Paul seems to be talking about things that make people stop acting like Christians. And, and if you'll allow me, I want to drop us right in the middle of the passage. We're going to get to the rest of it. But I want to start right in the heart of it with this phrase that Paul uses in verse 27. Listen to what he says. Whatever happens. Do you hear it? Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the sake of the gospel. We'll keep reading through that in just a moment. But Paul starts out this passage by giving a big blanket statement. Whatever happens in any situation, in any circumstance, no matter what is happening around you, live in a way that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> and then he seems to go through the rest of this passage with the assumption that the Philippians will and already are doing what he's talking about. But underneath it, if we listen carefully, Paul is talking about things that could have otherwise caused us to stop acting like Christians. The first he mentions in this verse, spiritual leadership. Whether I come and see you in person or only hear about you in my absence, Paul the planter of that movement of churches, Paul the apostle, Paul the one who brought them the gospel in the first place, knows he's a spiritual authority in their life. Knows that he says to people all the time, it's not just written in the Bible, he says it to people, follow me as I follow after Christ. But his goal is never for them to just follow him. He wants to be a window, a stained glass window through which they look and see the light of Christ, right? He doesn't want to build a movement around him. It's like Howard Schultz, you know. 
Starbucks. You found Starbucks and you have this company that grows and multiplies all over the country and then eventually all over the world. Whatever you think about Starbucks, whether you like its coffee or not, whether that's where you want to go when you pretend you're studying or not, <laughs> just think about the company. And it grows and it multiplies all over the place. It goes public. The stock shoots through the roof. Eventually he retires and the company starts to tank and the stocks plummet. But he's not worried about the plummeting of the profits or the plummeting of the stock. In the middle of that plummet, he comes back in and says, Starbucks has lost its soul. You hear it? Lost its soul. And he steps back in to take over as the CEO to try to bring it back. And stock shoots back up to the roof. They start being a giving company again, not just a getting company, at least in some ways. And things change. You see, human movements when you pull out the human leadership, often seem to crumble pretty quickly. Paul doesn't want a movement, hear this carefully, that rises and falls on leadership. Some of you leadership people need to go rethink some things. Paul does not want a church that rises and falls on leadership. He wants a church that is built on the rock and the rock alone of Jesus Christ. But he knows that humanly, when we follow a spiritual leader, pull the spiritual leader out, we might stop following. And it might not just be absence of a leader for you. It might be something worse. When I was a student in these seats, I had three advisors. The first two fell morally. The third was only here for a year, and the best our, our students could figure out was probably let go for incompetence or left because they realized they couldn't do the job. We don't know. But in the classes, you just realized things weren't going well. Those are my three advisors. <laughs> Great time here at Indiana Wesleyan. Changed my life, and here I am. Loved my alma mater. But those are my first three, and it's been long enough I think I can talk about them. I hope I don't judge any of them. But the first two weren't insignificant leaders in this community. They were not. One of them was a preacher, nationally, internationally known, seven years out booked in his schedule for preaching. Seven years he had things booked out. The other was a leader in the youth movement around the country, and wherever he went, he had 15, 20 people following him everywhere. If you were sitting on the outside, you're like, was this how the Pharisees felt, you know? <laughs> there goes Jesus with his groupies. They deeply influenced people. They deeply influenced me. I still love them. They still ministered to me. What they did doesn't wipe away the good things that God used them to do. But when they fell, it was like two huge trees in the forest, and the branches were like arms grabbing other trees and slamming them to the ground. Some of my friends who were in ministry rejected their call and left it. And I know that you can do little M ministry in any profession. But if you have a call to be a full-time minister, capital M, you cannot obey Christ and leave that. That's a vow you make to God and to the church. It's like marriage. And they turned their back on it and rejected it and left the church. Some of them, whether ministers or not, still are not in the faith. One of them says very publicly, I'm an apostate. Spiritual leadership. That's a little more serious than being in line at Hacienda, isn't it? 
But it is, our faith is built on spiritual leadership. Remove the spiritual leadership, things crumble. If our faith is built on spiritual leadership and that leadership crumbles, we crumble. But Paul doesn't assume that's the Philippians. He assumes the opposite. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. Listen to this. One spirit contending as one man for the sake of the gospel. There's something else underneath the surface of this one. One spirit, one man, unity. Paul talks about it in nearly every letter he writes. Because he faced conflict in every church he planted. <laughs> well, if you've ever led a church, you're just like, well, par for the course, you know. Is it Monday? Yeah, we'll have some conflict. <laughs> oh, is it Tuesday? Yeah, we'll have some conflict. Oh, it's Wednesday. Here comes the email conflict, right? It says part of leading a church, people are human, Right? Sometimes it's not spiritual leadership standing above us that gets us to stop acting like Christians. Sometimes it's people right beside us. Same plane, other Christians with whom we disagree. I've sat in meetings where for selfish reasons, self-serving reasons, Christians made it sound as though they were doing the right thing. It was really an attempt to serve their own interest, grandstanded. They'll take up nine-tenths of the meeting for one-tenth of the issues, and they're just because it's their issue. They'll call someone else a liar when they just lied a second ago, and you know it, but you don't want to reveal it because you don't want to be that person, but you know. A friend of mine was helping with a church plant. The church plant started to split. He was trying to hold things together. He, when I was calling and talking to him, trying to help him through this, he said, Dave, I feel like I'm on the rack in between two groups of people. I'm trying to hold together. And they're pulling me all the way across, trying to hold this conflict together so the cracks don't go all the way through the building. But we both knew it was time to get out when he was in the cereal aisle at the grocery store with his kids with him. And a woman comes down the grocery aisle and starts attacking him and saying things about him that were not true, blaming him for things that somebody else did in front of his kids. And so he lost all of his life savings because it was in the home in California in the middle of the economic dump. Left and was unemployed for a year. What does it take to make you stop acting like a Christian? An agenda, an absolute confidence that you're right. I have an acute sense of being right. <laughs> what does it take? Paul assumes that's not the case for the Philippians. I will know that you stand as one person with one spirit contending not for your own agenda, not for your own issues, but for the gospel of Christ. He goes on in verse 28 to say, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Now, these aren't Christians. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted, listen to this, it has been given, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, it's been given to you also to suffer for him. Oh boy, 
Maybe for you it's not spiritual leadership. Maybe it's not conflict with other Christians. Maybe it's just plain old good suffering. Now this is specifically talking about suffering that comes because you're following Christ. You are persecuted because you're following Christ. Some of us here, let's be honest, simply the fear of other people disrespecting us because of our beliefs tempts us to change our beliefs. Simply the feeling as we look through Facebook and Twitter and listen to the news and hear the way the culture's going, simply the feeling that we're in the minority in what we think makes us want to change what we think. Simply the idea that we might not get the job because we're faithful to Christ tempts us to shovel under the rug for just a little while our commitments to Christ. And that's easy kinds of persecution. What are they dealing with? Paul's in prison. He's chained to a guard, and he's telling them you're going to have the same struggle. Paul was, they were tempted to kill Paul, and the Philippians know they might try to kill them too. Now, that's real persecution. Some of us have already said, you know, God, don't take me over there because it's just not safe. Do you think it was safe for Paul? It's never been safe. News alert, and I'm careful to say this today, I'm sorry. If we were in a counseling moment in a pastoral counseling office, I'd take a lot longer to get to these sorts of things, and I'd listen more. But this is preaching. I just, this passage was given to me months ago. This sermon was written weeks ago. So maybe there's a reason it's being said today. The world's never been safe. It never has been safe. It never will be until Christ returns. If the first thing that happens for you when you see tragic events like today happen, and they are tragic, and please forgive me for saying this, but if the first thing that happens is you say, where is God? That's normal. That is human. That is normal. And I don't judge you one iota, but it reveals something. I'm not judging you for where you're at, but it's not where Paul's at. I'm not telling you it's wrong to feel that way, but I want to say there is another way. Some of you, it's not uh, persecution or suffering. It's somebody else's pain. It's not even your pain. If you were given a, terminable, uh, a, a terminal disease diagnosis today, you would just try to get your accounts in order and try to live even more like Christ. But if someone you know and love gets the diagnosis, then... You're shaken to the core. Where's God? If the first thing out of your mouth has come, Lord Jesus, or Lord have mercy, if the first movement of your life is to prayer, well, that's one thing. But if the first movement of your life is to doubt or to concern or to questioning the whole goodness of God, wait a second. What does it take to make you stop acting like a Christian? Is it spiritual leadership or the lack of it or the failure of it? Is it conflict with Christians? Is it suffering or pain, whether it's yours or someone else's? None of these. This is amazing to me. Please, this is not just some sort of truth I'm saying because I'm supposed to be in chapel to say something. This is so important. None of these shook Paul. 
Look back in verse 19. Now let's rewind. 18b, right before it, says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You remember what we've talked about previously, I hope. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me, I'm imprisoned, I'm chained to a guard, I'm locked up, I might be executed, will turn out for my salvation. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by death or by life. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Is that you? Is that me? Is that us? It's Paul. He has something beautiful that I would say 99% of Christians in America have never tasted. Luther translates this one phrase, Christus ist meinem Lieben. Christ is my life. Not I live for Christ. Christ is my life. Spiritual leadership lacking? The people of God, the leaders of the people of God led Paul to murder people back then. Did his leaders fail him, misguide him? Oh, yeah. And then when he's in the faith... Peter starts excluding people simply because of their ethnicity. He won't eat with them. He won't relate with them. He's a prejudiced man, Peter. And Paul has to confront him. And he does. Conflict in every church. The Judaizers, the Gnostics. Go back to introduction to the New Testament. Listen and trying to figure out what those are. I don't have time in this sermon. In every single church they come in and try to divide the thing. It doesn't shake Paul. And he's confident. Suffering, shipwrecks, beaten, stoned probably to death. If you traveled two days to stone a guy, don't you think you'd make sure the job was done? They traveled two days through mountainous territory, maybe three, chasing down Paul in mountainous terrain, stoned him to death. Paul, when they lay hands on him, probably no pulse, laying there bleeding like a lump, Pray, lay hands on him. He stands back up, walks back up that multiple day journey all the way up the mountain to say, hey, the guy you killed, it's me. Listen, Jesus is resurrected. Paul has something that is beautiful, that is powerful, that is indomitable, unshakable. Do you have it? For him to live is Christ, to die is gain. He says, I'm stuck between two really good options here, folks. And I can't decide which way I'm going to go. He's not despairing. He's not depressed. He's not discouraged. That's not this guy. I know that some of you are discouraged and depressed. And I hope that you will see the counseling center. Please do. I hope that you'll keep taking your pills. When you feel better, don't stop. That's the pills. Keep taking them. But that's not what Paul is dealing with. Paul's saying, look, living is so joyous for me. Man, I have so much purpose in life. Look, they changed a guard to me and I led him to Jesus. <laughs> they changed a different guard to me and I led him to Jesus. They changed a different guard to me and I led him to Jesus. I, Paul, greet you along with the whole household of Caesar. <laughs> Chain me up, what you gonna do? 
stone me down, what you going to do? Come on. Paul's happy. He's full of joy. Yes, I will continue to rejoice in prison. He's not depressed. Life is full of fruitful labor for him. And that fruitful labor isn't just work, it's people. He loves people so dearly. He gives himself over to them. They are his joy. You are my trophy. You are my certificate of authenticity, he says. Your lives are what I live for. Because it's necessary for you, I'll keep living. He's like, on the scale, we'll go to heaven, be with Jesus, which will be absolutely beautiful. Stay here, work for Jesus, and have you. Oh, man, which way do I go? Well, I think on balance, I'll tip this way. Because I love you so much. And I can still do something for you with a pen from far away. What does Paul have? What does Paul have? Do you have it? This is a real mower, not R-E-A-L, R-E-E-L, because this is a reel of blades. Have you ever used one of these? When we first moved here back to Indiana, you know, I wanted to not put gas into the environment. <laughs> wanted to stay fit. It was, so we had one car, and I always walked to work, and rode my bike to work, and we're not going to have a gas mower and righteous persons. So we bought one of these. It is exercise to mow a yard with one of these. We don't even have a quarter acre. And I was drenched in sweat. Loved it. But whenever I traveled, of course, you know, Holly, she's just a tiny little thing. Beautiful woman, but tiny little thing. She said, I can't even get it through the grass, you know. And when I was home and I was mowing, she, she was always afraid I was going to have a heart attack and die. She'd keep bringing me water. Do you want to take a break? Are you okay? You don't look okay. I'm having a blast. You know. <laughs> These things don't have an engine. The only power in them is the power you provide. You push, 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 push. And the taller and the thicker the grass, the harder it gets. Now this little guy, this little guy is a Honda. <laughs> ha! You know they used to call these pull, one pull Hondas? Have you heard that? Right? Just one. And then you want to get a glass of water? Thanks. Glass of water. Go right through the grass. It's tall. It gets clogged up. Just kick it out. Get the grass out of the. It has its own engine, miraculous creation, Dave. Have you heard of it? First night, I finally gave in because, you know, all right, you know, we'll get a mower. Some grass got ahead of me. I couldn't mow it. I had to pay somebody several times. I was traveling, whatever. Finally got a mower. I mowed the yard, and it looked so much better. Sat back and looked at it, sitting in a chair. Went over to my neighbor. Doesn't that look nice? He's like, yeah, about time. <laughs> Sorry, Absent. <laughs> this thing keeps going. All you do is hold on. Most of us have this kind of faith, and if you, this is you, please listen. Diagnose yourself and let the Spirit diagnose you, whether you're sitting all the way in the back row chitter-chattering or drawing pictures of faces or opening a honey bun wrapper or you're right down here in the front really concerned. 
Listen. If you keep having to push yourself to do things that are Christian, if you keep having to push yourself to do the things you know you should, if you keep having to push yourself and you think, boy, if I could just work a little harder, I gotta push myself to get up earlier, I gotta push myself to read, I gotta push myself to pray, I should push myself to testify, I should push myself. If your faith is still a push, it won't take much resistance and you won't have anything left. Isn't this wearing you out? Inside of a Christian like Paul is a self-driving engine. It's not his power. It's not his energy. It's not his strength. He's not a superhero. Neither was Elijah. <laughs> Neither was Peter or Timothy or Epaphras. Neither was Junia. Neither was Lydia. They weren't superheroes. Inside of them was an engine full of power that Paul simply called Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? By what, some other gospel? Did you think it was by works you were saved? Push, push, push. Did you think that you're going to become more like Christ by pushing harder? <laughs> who tricked you? It was by faith you were saved. It's by faith you'll continue. It's by faith you will grow. It's by faith you will have energy. It's by faith you will believe. It's by faith you will not be shaken. It's by faith you will not give in to temptation. It's all faith, all the way down, from beginning to end. And that's a gift of God. You can't make it happen. The question's wrong. Unless you understand it differently. What's it going to make you stop acting like a Christian? and start being one all the way down, all the way down. <laughs> Whether you're going through a divorce and it's awful and it's terrible, there's no word strong enough to describe how painful that is. Or you've lost someone that you deeply loved or someone that you trusted so dearly has failed you. Or you're embroiled in conflict right now. You can't push yourself to joy. Unless God builds the house the builders labor in vain. You can't build your faith. You can't work from the outside and I'll do these practices, it'll create these virtues and then eventually I'll be like Christ. No, it doesn't work that way. I don't care what anybody's told you. It does not work that way. You go to those practices and you sit in them and pursue those virtues waiting for Christ to show up and when Christ shows up, he does it. I believe in God the Father Almighty, and I believe all the way down. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son. 
suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead and buried, resurrected on the third day, and he's coming again. Come, Lord Jesus. I believe in the resurrection from the dead. Life everlasting. I believe all the way down that this life is a blink. It's a tiny little snap. Anything that no matter how big it is in this life is a light and momentary trouble compared with the glorious riches of Christ in all of eternity. I believe. Do you believe? Do you have that faith that only God can give you? I can't give it to you. I can't explain it. It's an inexplicable mystery. I can't hand it to you like a piece of pie for you to eat. What's it going to take to make you stop acting like a Christian? So that you can start being one. All the way down. In every situation. No matter what happens. If I thought an altar call would do it for you, I'd do it. If I thought a raising of the hand would do it, I would do it. But I think you need to seek this in your prayers in your life, in your community, in your dorm room, in your classes, in your mentoring, in your discipleship, in your church, all of those beautiful, wonderful things, seek this, not something else. Don't push for it. Ask God to give it. Because if we're acting like Christians, that's the problem. What's it going to take to make you stop acting like a Christian? You go figure that out with God. You're dismissed.